Well, good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, good? All right. Well, I'm not. And so if I come across a little angry this morning, I just want to let you know that I haven't eaten anything today. And I can for the rest of the day. Thank you. So you guys are like, oh, that's so sad. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of that age where certain procedures are done to make sure everything's okay. So I got that tomorrow. So I haven't eaten. So I'm a little angry. And I just want you to know I'm not angry at you. I'm just angry at the fact that I haven't eaten anything. So uh, if I come across a little angry today while I'm teaching, uh, I apologize. I, just wanna, I told the 9 o'clock that. Uh, several left crying, but I think they're okay now. I think they're okay now. So anyways, let me just ask you a question. If our church, don't answer out loud. There's no need to answer. Just think about this. Um, but if our church um, continues to represent Jesus Christ well, and I think we do that pretty well as a church. At least that's our desire. And we were doing that, and, and God was continuing to bless us, but then we kind of allowed some unbiblical teaching to happen in our church and some things that are, uh, that God would say, no, we don't want Christians doing that kind of stuff. Would, would, again, don't answer all, just, but would God be good with that? Would Jesus be like, hey, you know, you guys got, you know, 95, 98% of the things going well, and, and I'm even blessing you in order to do that, and people are coming to Christ, and they're growing in their faith, and so don't worry about this other stuff that's being taught, that's being encouraged in our church. But let me bring it a little closer. What if you're, you in your life and me in my life were doing everything that God has called us to do, and we're, he's using us, and we're bringing about spiritual impact in people's lives. But there's this little area over here that's, that's not biblical. It's not what God wants us to do. Would he be okay with that? In the first century, <clears throat> the church was growing in a, in a, a society that was uh, tolerantly intolerant. I guess is a good way to put it. And that is that they were tolerant except for those who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who were trying to do life the way God said he wanted them to do. Because it was, it was so different than how everybody else lived. And it, it meant worshiping one God as opposed to all the other gods. They lived in this um, tolerant intolerance, which is exactly where we live today as a church. Our society is, is tolerantly intolerant. Anything goes except for what, what Christ has called us to do as Christians. Now, I say that, and there's a bunch of you who be like, Yeah, amen, Pastor. Keep on. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, I could give you a bunch of ideas and a bunch of uh, ways, examples of how this is happening, and you could give me a bunch, and we could sit there and feel good about ourselves because we can determine and see how the world is really not tolerant, it's actually intolerant towards Christians. And the reason why I know that will happen is because, like, a couple weeks ago, I did the whole Sparkle Creed. Remember the Sparkle Creed? Talking about how the church is compromising. That church, particular church, was compromising. And so I did a sparkle creed. We have it up here, and, and I, I'd ask people to not say anything, but then they, there were people who were saying stuff and laughing at it. And we didn't, again, we didn't, we're not showing it so people can laugh at them. And, 
I wasn't showing it so that everybody else could start giving me different ways that the church is compromising. Because everybody missed, not everybody, but I was afraid that people missed the point of that week. That, that week was, God, where am I compromising? That is the whole point. That's the whole point of why Jesus is, is contacting these churches and having John write these letters to them. And, because we're supposed to represent Christ, and anytime we're not, we need to understand what, where that is. And as he says, repent. In other words, turn from that and do life the way he wants us to do it. And so I'm not going to give you a bunch of different ways that our society is intolerant. And I, if you don't mind, I'd rather not hear any back. See, this is where I feel like I'm angry. And so if I am, it's because I have no food in my stomach. So just... Because here's the point of today. This is what this church in Thyatira, which is an interesting name for a town, but you know we'll go with it. So Thyatira, this, this church, this is Jesus' point. This is what he wants you and me to evaluate about ourselves and then evaluate about our church. And, and that says, misrepresenting Jesus through tolerating unbiblical teaching and lifestyles, whether it's in the church or in our personal lives, is not acceptable to him. And he will deal with it. That's the point he's trying to get us across, get across to us this morning as we look at this church in Thyatira. So go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. It's, we're going to be in verse 18. It's page 1226 if you're using the Bible there in the seats. And as we do each week, this is going to give you some details about the church. It's good to know what the context is, what's the church dealing with in the city that they're in. And so you can go to the next one there, Greg. And that is this. It's a major center of commerce. Uh, it has the largest number of trade guilds or unions. We don't use the word guilds anymore. We use unions. Uh, in the Roman Empire, I mean, they had everything you could think of, any kind of trade. Um, you know, wool, and they did uh, linens, and they did, you know, um, outer garments and the inner garments, and uh, they dyed different things, and so there was a separate guild for that. They had tanners and potters and bakers and slave traders and bronze smiths, carpenters. They had all sorts of different unions, um, and the most in any of the Ro other Roman cities. And as we've been talking about, and for those who have missed maybe a, a message or two or didn't catch this, each guild or each union had a god that they worshipped, and that god was supposed to give them success in their business. And so there were certain things they would do as they worshiped that God. And, and what's interesting is, as you read through Scripture, any of the gods that man worshiped that wasn't Jesus Christ, their lifestyle was exactly the same. It, they were, the, the, their gods said, if you're going to wor worship me, you need to be involved in sexual immorality. You need to be involved in getting high on drugs. And you need to be involved in doing all this. That's how they, that's how they worship. That's a, there was this um, physical response, this uh, sensualness is another word for it, where their senses, they were trying to get their, their senses involved in the worship. And so they, they used drugs and alcohol and sexual activity and all that to get to that point. All of them. I mean, all the way back into the Old Testament. It's, it's kind of an interesting study um, if you're ever interested in getting into it. But that's what was happening. And so when Jesus says, hey, you know, you're supposed to be um, sexually pure. You're supposed to, you know, sex only inside of marriage. And marriage is a man and a woman. And, and all that comes from that, doing life God's way. 
you look different. You look strange. You know, it's you're liable to be ridiculed by people who don't live that way. And they had that. We experienced that. Also, uh, interesting, out of Acts 16, Lydia, uh, who, who dealt in purple, uh, and that is that, that she was in the gar- garment guild. She is actually from Thyatira. And so there's a connection there with, uh, in um, Philippi, where she, first, well, she was one of the first believers in Philippi. Um, also, Apollo, the son of Zeus, the god of prophecy and oracles. He was the chief god in this town. And so they weren't really big on emperor worship, which was unusual compared to the other towns. So there doesn't seem, so this is kind of where we're going with it, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of persecution going on. I'm sure there was some. But like today, for most churches, especially in the United States, again, in the United States, other churches, Christians are being beaten and killed and arrested and all kinds of stuff around the country and around the world. But in the United States, we don't have a whole lot of persecution. And again, we get that from what, we're going to be reading here the fact that Thyat, or I mean um, Lydia, she she seemed to continue to do her business, and so it didn't seem like she was kicked out of the the guild there, the union there. Jesus really talks about um, their impact that they have. We'll, we'll read it here in a second, but their impact that they had in the world. But they're dealing with something from within. So that's the uniqueness about this church. There's something happening within. It's an internal issue. So we want to read this. We're going to break the chapter up this week just to kind of switch things up. So he starts with a description of himself. Jesus does. And so, and to the angel, again, angel is pastor. So, and to the pastor of the church in Thyatira, right? So Jesus is telling John uh, to write this. The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished or polished and shiny bronze, says this. So he gives another description of himself. And each description has something to do with what he's going to deal with, with the church. And so, first of all, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm the Son of God. And it's a reminder that Jesus Christ is the, is the true Son of the true God. All these other gods are man-made, and they're fake, and they're wrong, and, and uh, they're ultimately just worshiping nothing. And so, uh, Apollo is not the Son of God. The Caesars, even if they wanted to worship the Caesars, said, we're the sons of God. No, the Caesars are not the Son of God. Only Jesus is the true Son of the true God. He says that he has eyes like a flame of fire. He wants this church to know, he wants us to know, and actually as he gets to the end, he wants all the churches to know, that, that his eyes, in other words, he sees everything. He knows everything that's going on in a person's life. He knows everything that's going on inside of a church and what's going on in the life of the church. Uh, later on in chapter or verse 23, he says that uh, it's he who searches the mind and the hearts and so right here, right now, today, Jesus Christ, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, he sees. He's searching our minds and our hearts. And he says his eyes are a flame of fire. And fire has this um, sense to it that it's a purification process. It's a discipline. It's a judgment. And so he's looking at those who are his followers, followers and he's, he's looking at their minds and their hearts. He says, is there anything in them? Is there anything in the church that needs to be purified, that needs to be corrected, that's not representing me accurately. And so he wants this church to know that he is looking, he's seeing, and then he has a feet like burnished bronze. And that has this idea that he's untarnished. He stands on untarnished feet, on holy, sinless feet. And so we know there's going to be an issue that he's going to address, you know, partially from, from the description of himself. But he starts out 
with the good stuff, with, with what they are doing. The, the majority of this church seems to be doing life God's way. They seem to be representing Christ. They seem to be, um, he's working through them and they're making a spiritual impact in their life. And, and like I like to remind all of us, that's our whole point on being here on this earth. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your main purpose for why he left you here and didn't take you right to heaven was so that you and I would represent Jesus Christ. And so we go to work, not to earn the money that we make there, but to represent Christ. And people say, whoa, 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 I thought you said we're supposed to provide for ourselves. No, the Bible doesn't say provide for yourself. The Bible says, Jesus says in in Matthew 6, he says, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I will provide for you. It started all the way back in Genesis. And so when we start thinking that we're going to be providing for ourselves, then money becomes what we're chasing. And when money is short, we start working more. And pretty soon we're, we're not spending time with our family, which is what God wants. We're not spending time with our church family, which is what God wants. And so, anyways, so this church was doing it right. They were, they were doing life the way God wanted them to do it. And so he tells us about that in the next several verses. He says, I know your deeds and your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So they had been continually obedient, and as they continued to obey, they became, as individuals, more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, Spiritual maturity is another way of putting it. But then as a church, they were able to have a greater effect. So as people came to know Christ, new people came into the church, and now they had more opportunities to love them, to have faith and trust in God, to respond to them, to, to serve them. So I, I know your deeds, he says. It's uh, has this idea of li- in context is living consistent with Jesus' commands. So one of the things I want to do this morning, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time, uh, but I want to kind of break our Christian ease, okay, our Christian ease, our Christian um, way of reflecting uh, of saying things because I think sometimes even when I you know we say represent Christ we say that a lot here and we also say uh, do life God's way and I think those are becoming kind of Christianese it's just kind of going past you as I say it it blows right past your ears and goes out into the lobby and, and we're not catching it so let me ask you this what would be the things the deeds that this church is doing that he's commending them for he's saying your deeds are greater that has a bigger effect now than when he first started. So what are those things, do you think? Just shout out a couple of them. I won't take a whole lot of time. Most of you guys right now are dry mouth and all scared because you think I'm going to call on you. I'm not going to do that. But Okay, caring for each other, but what is that? Is that? What, I mean, caring for each other. Like, what would they have done to care for each other? So give me a need that you think would have in the first century. Food, yeah. They probably wouldn't eat, especially if they lost their job because they weren't worshiping the particular God, and they got kicked out of the union. Again, if that was happening in Thyatira, it was happening in other churches. And so somebody would not... Ha- the, the husband got lost his job, and they weren't having money coming in. How are they going to eat? The church family. Okay? Nice. What else? The house. What's that? The house. the house? Could be. Could be. Working on a house, helping somebody with their house. Pray. If it's falling apart. Say it again. Praying for each other? Like, like what? What do you think they're like praying for? When somebody comes up and says, I'm struggling with 
Right then and there. Yeah. Okay. Praying for the sick. Praying for the sick. Nice. Praying for the people. We got a lot of praying going on. Providing an opportunity for the teens. Okay. Okay. So how is their church growing though? This sounds like all like churchy things that you guys are doing for each other. How is how are how are people coming into because they're having greater opportunities? So the assumption is there's more and more people too coming in. So how are they? How, what do you think they're doing to reach people for Christ? Yeah, share your life, share your story. What's God doing? All right, all right. Okay, that's enough uncomfortableness. I'm moving on. So their deeds showed that they had number one Christ-like love, and we love Christ-like love, don't we? Christ-like love is awesome. What is it? Anybody? What would be a step of okay sacrifice? In what way? Give me what would be some of the things the first century church had to do in order to bring Christ-like love to a situation. Sacrifice money, time. But let me ask you this. If, if, I gave, if I helped you at your house, and then you helped me at my house, is that sacrificial love? No, that's phileo love, right? That's, I'm doing for, Sam's doing for me something that I did for him, or vice versa. Here's the deal. What they were doing back then, what, God, what Jesus was commending, was that they were meeting other people's needs to the point that they were uncomfortable I always kind of come up with different words to help us understand. So we say sacrifice, but we don't really understand what sacrifice is because we don't operate on that level. Mostly, we operate on a phileo love, this brotherly love, this reciprocal love. And so there was things going on in their lives, whether it was husband and wife situation, you know, a, a, a wife comes to Christ and a husband doesn't, or vice versa. And so the believer there had to sacrifice and to do what Jesus said to do and what he had like Peter write about what marriage is supposed to be and what Paul wrote about what marriage is supposed to be and they had a sacrifice for their spouse. And so when their spouse got angry at them, they didn't respond back in kind. They responded back kindly, but not in kind. They didn't get angry back. And so in their families and in their workplaces... They, they demonstrated a sacrificial love. They, they loved Jesus. And so when Jesus said, hey, listen, the way you're living life needs to change, they loved him. And so they met his need, if you want to call it that, his command to change, no matter how uncomfortable it was for them to change. When he says, hey, repent to each of these churches, those who are faithful to him, those who are truly believers, followers of Jesus Christ, those who truly love Jesus, repented. They changed how they were doing life, and they started doing life the way he wanted them to do it. Not only that, but they were able to do that because they had faith. Faith means to have trust and belief, but it's based on the person who's making the statement or, or who's giving the promise or who's bringing the teaching, which is Jesus Christ. And so these, these people thought, I can... I can uh, meet other people's needs. I can respond to them uh, in a way that would help them, even if they were angry and stuff at me, 
Because I have faith in Jesus. I trust that what Jesus says is true. That what Jesus says about how I'm supposed to respond is true. And that he's going to work it out. They were able to do that and able to serve each other. Because of their love and their trust in Jesus, they were able to serve each other. It means to be a voluntary, humble ministry to the needs of others. It's the same word used of Jesus when he says, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Jesus, God, came not to be served, but to serve. It's like the the guys that were here Thursday and, and the youth that came on Thursday. They could have been doing anything else that day. But they came here and got some work done around the building. Or the guys Thursday night, when Clark switched things up on us and we weren't going to have a Bible study, he said, oh, hey, by the way, we're going to worship the Lord tonight by serving our church family, and we're going to get knock out a couple of the projects and need to get done around here. I know some of the guys were like, I didn't come over here to do that. I came over here to sit and... Hear somebody drone on about the Bible and, and then hear somebody pray and get out of here, you know. No, these guys were here. They, they hung in there. They did the work. Do you know how many people in our church serve in multiple areas? I would say the vast majority of people who, are, who serve in our church serve in multiple areas. Why? Well, I'm hoping it's because of this. It's because they love Jesus Christ and they love his church. And they believe what Jesus says, that when they serve, it's worshiping God. And he will bless them and he will encourage them. He'll give them the strength to do it. And so they serve. They sacrifice. They don't have to be here. These up here singing, none of these are paid. It's all volunteer. And they come during the week and they practice at home during the week. Right? No, I won't ask. You should be practicing at home. But if they come here during the week and then they come on Sunday morning to do two services, two services, they're here for a couple, three hours on a Sunday morning. Could be having coffee and donuts. The people who work in our children's ministry and serve there, the teachers that we have that pour time into over and above what the lesson plan is because they want it good for your kids and for your grandkids. Do you know how many people don't serve? Again, that, this is Jesus talking to a particular church so that all churches will hear it. It's, it's part of our response to our love for Christ and for our love for others because of what Christ has done. And he says, and also your perseverance. Those who serve get this word. It's not a grin and bear it, oh, I've got to do this. But it's this this faithfully representing Jesus, doing all this because we know that Jesus is going to do it and, be, and because he's involved, he's, it's going to work out. It's going to, we're going to, our needs are going to be met, their people's needs are going to be met, it's going to be a good thing. So they persevere through the difficult times. And so it's no wonder their spiritual impact was greater now than it was when they first accepted Christ because they were growing, they were doing the things that Christ said to do as a church. But despite all the good stuff, Jesus says, listen, I, I, I see that there's, there's something inside. There, there's some internal issue. There's a threat from within. And this is how he describes it. He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, 
who calls herself a prophetess. She calls herself that. He doesn't. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. Bondservants are true believers. So that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, I just want to stop and I put it here in parentheses for you. Lifestyles contrary to what Jesus taught. I think sometimes people in, our, in the 21st century read that and go, Woo! Okay, that's good. Because uh, I know Pastor Harold's talked about not having, you know, being involved in sexual immorality. And I definitely know that we are not eating things sacrificed to idols. And so we feel good about ourselves because that's not happening. It's not being taught in our church. That phrase is just a, a summary of what the society did based on not worshiping Jesus Christ, worshiping their gods. So in our day and age, it's the same thing. It's a lifestyle that's contrary to what Jesus teaches in the Bible. It's a life that's not doing life the way Jesus says to do life. I got more. Okay. I gave her time to repent, he says, and, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Be, behold, <laughs> here's some stuff. It's like, whoa. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Now, just side note, that's, that's not, that she's not having sex necessarily all the guys it's that uh, what they're doing is they're being intimate with her in her teaching by living it out, okay? And so in the Great Tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds, doing the things that she does. And I will kill her children. Yikes! I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he. All the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one according to your deeds. Yikes. So the, the, the church at Bermising, the world was putting into the church and pressuring the Christians to do life their way. Here, there's someone inside the church who's trying to get them to do life the world's way, to, to do life contrary to what God would want. And so he says they're tolerating so there are some there in that church that are tolerating. They're allowing this to happen. They're, they're saying, listen, we got everything good going on so good over here. Let's not worry about it. That's just a little thing. Let's not worry about it. Because we we're focused on a mission. We, we, we're going to do what Jesus wants us to do. We, we're not going to worry about what's going on over here. You know, because if we, if we talk to these people, we're, they're going to feel bad. And we're going to come across harsh and judgmental. And, and we really don't want... That And so let's just focus on the mission. I mean, after all, God's blessing us, right? So it must be good. It, it must be something that we can, can do and kind of hold off to the side. But evidently not. Jesus evidently thinks it's very important. And so he says, he, he, he references this, the woman Jezebel. And so who is Jezebel? Is that a real name? Is that a, a fake name? Is it symbolic? And, and I would just say it's probably symbolic of the Old Testament Queen Jezebel, Queen Jezebel who worshipped Baal, which, by the way, ends up being the same lifestyle as the lifestyle of these people who are worshipping these different gods because it's really the same mindset. It's man coming up with a, a god that they like so they could do what they want to do. But she worshipped Baal. Her husband, the king, didn't stop her. And so it's, you know, it's symbolic, the pastor of the church isn't stopping this lady from teaching these wrong things and getting people back online. Also in Thyatira, because again, it's important.
for us to understand that the people who came to Christ, they came to Christ out of this society. And so everything was normal. This is how life was lived. This is what you're supposed to do. All this stuff that they were raised in, and then when they came to Christ, a lot of that stuff, that the Bible says don't do those things anymore. And so it's kind of like, huh? We did it over here. Why can't we do it over here? And so in, in Thyatira, there was a, a woman, a well-known woman, who ran a, um, a fortune-telling business, and her, it was called a Sambathe, is, is the name of the person running it. But it was very uh, normal. If you want to know what God, the gods wanted for you, you'd go to her. And so it makes sense that a, the church would have you know, a woman or women who are going to be teaching, and we should probably listen to them. So <clears throat> he's going to, to deal with this. So what was unbiblical about Jezebel, and what was unbiblical... unbiblical yeah, I can talk about it. But... but Remember, I don't have any food in my stomach. Okay. Um, what was unbiblical about her teaching? Well, first of all, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 9 through 3, 12, uh, based off of how God created the world and the order in which he created it, and the sin of, of being deceived that Eve had, he said that women are not to teach or have authority over women or men in the church. So a woman is not to have uh, spiritual authority or teaching men in the church. That there's a, there's a group of men in a church who can fit the requirements, who do the teaching. Okay? No, I'm fine. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. It's just part of my uh, speaking ability. I just clear my throat. It's, everyone enjoys it. Um, <laughs> that's controversial, isn't it? To not allow a woman to teach men... In the church, that's controversial today. It was controversial in the first century. There is no reason why women couldn't teach other men in any other area of, of the life. And so this was a controversial thing. And so, boy, to bring that up would cause a bunch of problems and issues. And we'd look weird and we'd be called all sorts of names. And then her teaching was leading believers astray. It means to, to mislead, to cause to wander from the truth, to misrepresent Jesus. And here's what was probably being taught at that time, and it became what we call Gnosticism. But early on, it was this idea that once you place your faith in Christ, then your spirit is alive. But the spirit and the flesh are not connected. The, your physical body and your spirit aren't connected. So you could place your faith in Jesus Christ and have a relationship with Jesus, and worship Jesus Christ in your spirit, your feelings, and then do whatever you want, to, you want to do in your flesh. Because they weren't connected. Okay? And so she was saying, hey, whatever you were doing back then, all that activity, you can bring over here, and it won't bother you, because you, you've placed your faith in Christ, and your spirit's alive, but it's not connected with your body, so you can do what you want to do. So, Jesus gave instruction on how to deal with sin in the church. Matthew talks about it. Paul talks about it. But they're not doing it. So now he's going to have to step in. And so he, he says that he's going to throw her on a bed of sickness, followers into a great tribulation, and kill her children with pestilence. Now, children is not physical children. The church has been around for 40 plus years. And so there's now people who have who have been raised by Christians, and those people are being pulled away. And so it's like another generation of people are being pulled away, not just first generation, but second generation people. Normally the discipline that God gives us, as you kind of look through Scripture, is a follower of Jesus Christ, 
has an area in their life where they, they, they don't want to repent, they don't want to get up underneath God's authority, and so they continue to live life the way they want to live. And then the natural outcome, the natural consequences of that sin begin to affect a person. And so then as it's affecting them, and then, then they'll kind of think, well, man, something's really messed up. And then they'll realize, oh, that's because I'm sinning. Well, then they get back with God and things kind of get back in place. And so it's just kind of natural consequences of our sin is how God disciplines us. But here, he's talking about some specific things. And so is this literal? Is this figurative? Is this spiritual? And we don't really know. We don't know what happened in that church. We don't know if she got sick or if the kids died somehow. We don't know. But I just want to point out this, that throughout Scripture, God talks about how unrepentant sin, because that's what we're talking about here, sin that's not being repented of. So unrepentant sin, how it impacts us physically. See, it's not the spirit and the flesh. It's a unit. We are spirit and flesh. Okay? And so we're one that way. So I'm not going to... I think I have it up on the board um, or up on the, on the monitor, but I'm not going to go to these verses. You can go to them later. But in Psalm 38, 3-8, King David is talking about what's happening to him physically because he is not repenting of his sin. And if you read that, what he's describing there is anxiety attacks. How he's, he's having a hard time breathing and his bones are aching. And so he's having a physical impact based on this spiritual situation. Why? Because we're connected. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about some who are taking communion in the church who have unrepentant sin. And he's saying some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you have even fallen asleep, meaning died. Because there's unrepentant sin and they're trying to worship Jesus at the same time they're trying to do life the way he doesn't want them to. And in James 5.14, we've heard people say, well, you know, they'll ask us, well, pastor, do do the elders come and anoint us and pray over us? And and we do that if somebody's um, sick and they're having some issues and physical issues. You know, we'll come and and we just put a little olive oil on their forehead and we pray over them and, and believe that God will work in their life and hopefully heal them physically and that kind of stuff. But the context of that verse is really, if you're sick, call for the elders who will come and pray over you, and if you confess your sin, you will be healed. The physical issue has something to do with their sin that's being unrepented of. And so there is something going on there, but Jesus' point is this. That unrepentant sin, number one, will impact us psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. And that it needs to be dealt with. It's extremely important to him. He cares. One, because it's his reputation. And two, he wants us to experience the life that he wants to give us. And if we continue in sin, all we're going to do, as we've learned this over and over, is that we're just going to destroy our lives. Now, somebody may ask this question, so I need to take a little bit of a quick break here, and then I'll get back to it, and we'll fly through the last part here. So people say, well, Harold, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with unrepentant sin in the church today? Um, like, do you go over and put somebody on a sickbed? <laughs> no, no. So <clears throat> in the first century, so bear with me now. So in the first century, each city had a church. And in almost every city, there was persecution of some kind or another. So people who remained in the church 
they had a pretty good idea that they were a follower of Jesus Christ, that they were a Christian, or a believer, okay? And so when that believer had unrepentant public sin, it was known, because we're not going to be looking at everyone's windows, I'm not going to be going to your computers and checking your computers. It's not, oh, Pastor Harold's here, I'm going to get the computer. Not doing that. But it's, it's known sin that's be, not being repented of. Back then, when that would happen, then they would go to that person, because everyone assumed, since there's only one church in town, and that person is a believer, that they need to do what Jesus said to do in Matthew and what Paul said to do in, in 1 Corinthians. Today, it's a little different. And so we, we try to do our best to try to make things um, as much as like the first century as possible. So today, there's a church in every corner in every town. And so if a person doesn't like what's going on at Grace Point, they can just go over to some other church and find a church that better meets their expectations, is how I always phrase it. So we have a hard time knowing, because this happens a lot, there'll be a person that comes for a while, and all of a sudden, poof, they're gone, you try to connect them, and they don't get back to you, and then you realize to find out on Facebook that they're going to some other church, or whatever. So it's really hard for us to know, okay, who is who's a follower of Jesus Christ, and who is committed to our church, to representing our church, just like in the first century, they were representing that church. And so what we do is we call it, we call it membership. And we have our Connect class that's coming up in August. And what we do is, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you like what's going on in our church and you want to be a part of what's going on in the church, then we want you to come just take that class so we can tell you more about our church. And at the end of that class, I go through like eight things, whatever it is, about what it means to be a member of our church. And the people who want to be a member, they are voluntarily choosing to be a member of our church. So what are they choosing to do? Number one, they're stating that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. They're a believer. So they're under his authority. Um, they're committing to weekly, regularly be with their church family. So a, a person who might be listening to a podcast, who's a member of our church, uh, who hasn't been here in two months, this is for you. All right? You've said, hey, I want to be, be what's going on with the church here, and I want to be part of it. And so, they, that, so they're will, we just say this is what a member is. They're willingly saying, I want to be part of it. I want to uh, um, cheerfully and sacrificially give financially so we can accomplish the things we need to do. And I'm going to serve. And I'm going to share my faith. So a person who signs off on that, we say, okay, that's a member of our church. They're also, by doing that, saying, I want the accountability that comes with that. Those things and living life. It's also in their living life that represent Christ well. And so they're saying, I want to come underneath that authority, that, that, uh, authority, that accountability. So then if a person like that has unrepentant public sin, then I'll have a conversation with them. And then we'll proceed with the church discipline that Jesus talks about and Paul talks about, if it needs to go that direction. Hopefully not. Regular attenders who attend our church, these are people who have not voluntarily committed to be members of our church, to come under that accountability. If that happens in their life, and somehow I find out about it, you know, like I'm talking, because this has happened, I'm talking to somebody and they tell me something that's going on in their life, or they, hey, I got some, I got some questions about what's going on in my life, or whatever, then we'll have a conversation. But it's not like we're going to have church discipline on them, because they're not members of our church. And again, we're just trying to figure things out, because there's not one church per city anymore. Uh, there are a bunch of different churches 
where people can go. And so, so just FYI, um, some of you guys who are members are going, I forgot about all that. So I'm going to resend my membership. <laughs> just kidding. So as with the other churches, Jesus then looks forward. He's going to give them some promises. He does this for all the churches. I think all of them. I need to double check. But here's what he says. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known or personally been involved in the deep things of Satan, as they call them. They call it deep things. Jesus says deep things of Satan. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Talking about the, the rapture there. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds, in other words, lives, lives life Jesus' way, until the end, look at this, to him I will give authority over the nations. Oh. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. So he's using Psalm 2 there. He's actually quoting right from the Old Testament. As I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear and obey what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, not just in Thyatira, not the seven churches, but all churches who are reading this, including us today, we need to understand and obey. So really quickly, having to fly through this, there's no other burden uh, to being put on the rest. All right, so there, there's, um, there's, no, there's no other responsibility that they have than to get rid of and don't pay attention to this wrong teaching or any wrong teaching. Because any teaching that's done in church, any belief that we have in our own minds and hearts that doesn't line up with Scripture is considered a deep thing of Satan. Why a deep thing of Satan? Because anything that's contrary to Scripture is in direct opposition to God, just like Satan is. Satan is in direct opposition to God, and he teaching that moves us away from the truth of Scripture and living life God's way, misrepresenting who he is, is a deep thing of Satan. It's a spiritual opposition to him. And so, no other burden. Just focus on that and hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to Jesus Christ and keep doing what you keep doing. Keep doing the good things. Now, can I just give you four things that wraps up everything he said at the beginning about what compliments him? Why he's complimenting him? There's four things. You've heard this before if you've been here for any length of time. The Bible summarize, I summarize what the Bible says about being a follower of Jesus Christ, and that is this. Daily time in his word and in prayer. Weekly time with your church family, spiritual family, the body of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. Uh, serving. We just got done talking about that. And sharing with others what Christ has done in your life. Four things. Focus four things. That's what they were doing. I'm just putting it into these four areas. Keep doing those things. That's what we're supposed to do. No false teaching. Keep doing life the way God wants us to do it. Then he says, I'm going to give you authority over the nations. This is for the overcomer, the one who continues to show that they're a follower of Jesus Christ by being faithful to Jesus Christ. He's going to give us authority, and it's not just them, but us, authority and rule. He's going to put us in a position where we're going to be caring for the nations. When's that going to happen? From what we understand in Revelation chapter 20, when Jesus Christ comes back and wipes out the Antichrist and all things went on in the tribulation, and he sets up his 1,000-year reign on, our, on the earth, he's going to need people to, he can trust to run the world. 
because he's going to be on the throne and there's going to be need for police officers and there's going to be need for governors and there's going to be need for mayors there's going to be need for council people you know whatever there's going to be we're still got the world we still have the nations it's just that the initial people coming in are all followers of Jesus Christ but for a thousand years they're going to be having kids and those kids are going to be born with a sin nature they're going to have to make a choice whether they want to put their faith in Jesus Christ or not and the ones who don't they're going to sin they're going to break laws and so he's going to need some people to reign with him in that sense. And so that's what I believe he's talking about there. And then lastly, he's going to give the morning star. The morning star uh, is Revelation twenty-two sixteen. So one of the last verses of the entire Bible, he says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel, speaking specifically of uh, the pastor, apostle John, to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root of the, and descendant of David, the bright morning star. And so he's saying when it's all done, when it's all said and done, I'm going to give you myself. And by that he means to spend eternity, a new heaven, a new earth, with him for all time. Which there won't be time because it's eternity. But we're going to be able to be with him. So what's our takeaways? Given a responsibility to obey, right? To hear and obey. So if we're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, I would challenge you to have a conversation with Jesus and say, Jesus, do you consider my deeds now of greater impact than when I first placed my faith in you? Are, are you? are you growing in your walk with Jesus Christ? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? Are you doing the things necessary to become more like him, to have a greater spiritual impact in this world? Or are you tolerating things like, like this church was doing? Secondly, where in your life are you tolerating wrong thinking or teaching or lifestyle choices? As you have a conversation with with the Lord, just say, Lord, help me to understand where am I not thinking right? Where am I not responding right? Help me to see that and give me what I need in order to repent of that, to turn, which is our third point. If there is anything like that in your life, then that you would repent, that you would commit to turn away from that kind of living and live the way Christ wants you to live, to find the help that you need, which is why you have a church family to come around you. Jesus Christ cares about his reputation, he cares about us and in the life that he's promised to give us. Doesn't want us to hurt or injure or destroy ourselves. And so he's going to do what it takes for those who are truly followers of his to get us back in line so we can experience him and all that he has for us. Let's go ahead and stand and close in prayer.